Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Real Deal Talk. And today, I know I've said this before, but this guy right here, this is, this is I, I'm going to tell you right now, folks, this in all of the guests, which I think we're at almost 40 at this point, this is the guest, and I said this before, but I'm going to say this with confidence, that I know the least about, <laughs> and he's the most mature guest I've ever had on the show at, what is 70 years young, Okay. Uh, and and I, I literally met him a week ago. So you guys know how I do it. I've got a list of hundreds of people, and then I'll wait for the Holy Spirit to give me a nudge. And when people are up, and then I'll text them, hey, by the way, you're up. And they'll be, they'll be like, I'm up for what? <laughs> oh, yeah, by the way, you're on my podcast. <laughs> oh, okay, whatever you say, J.D., I'm in. <laughs> this guy right here. But then I've got people that I'll have uh, that come to me on the fly, and I'll book immediately if I can. And Rich right here is one of them. Rich, and I'm gonna, and I know this is an Italian name. And I already murdered it before the interview because I always try to make sure I at least get the name. The only thing I know about my clients or clients is my guests is that I try to pronounce their name correctly. So beforehand, I'll go over the name pronunciation. And this one wasn't good. But Rich Gilio. Gilio. <laughs> See, I can't even say it. Gilio. Yeah. Is that better? That's good. Okay, yeah. That's good. That's good enough. So it's good enough. Let's, let's keep it. Let's not, let's not murder it too much more, Jay, is what he said. Uh, Gilio, Elio, Elio, Rich Elio. Okay, seventy years young, and uh, and I'll plant the seed before I do a word from our sponsor. Um, Rich is a two-time cancer survivor. Okay, and Rich and I, uh, we were sitting in the front row of Twisted the Musical at Awakened Church. All right, if you if you saw that, you know. If you if you haven't, you need to come next year, or come to the Hero uh, Musical, which is in uh, around Easter. All right, we'll get into that later. But um, so Rich was uh, sitting in the front row. In between us was a the the um, the row of where there's about a gap of about three or four feet. So he and I kind of glanced over at each other throughout the play, you know, admi- admiring the play, et cetera, et cetera. But we didn't really get to we didn't meet during the play, right? No. So afterwards, I'm in the in the lobby, and Rich actually came up to me. He said, "Hey, I I think I know you from somewhere," and we were trying to connect the dots. And I'm like, "I mean, I know you look familiar." I come to awaken, but we couldn't peg where we had seen each other other than most likely awaken. So then he walks away, right? And I think you were even close to outside or close to the door. And I said, you know what? Something nudged me. Of course, it was the Holy Spirit saying, go, go, go get this guy. He's got something. So I went and I flagged you down. Remember? Yeah. I said, Hey, Rich, I said, something tells me you got a story to tell. He said, well, what do you mean by that? You, I said, sometimes you got a, a, an incredible testimony to, to reveal and to tell. He said, well, you have no idea. I said, no, I don't actually, but I, I have a podcast and I would love for you to come on the podcast and share it. And so I gave Rich my card. And what did you think at that point when I gave this guy, this, this kid giving me a card here? Yep. I was, uh, I was, uh, prepared to be surprised. <laughs> So he te- I said, text me if you want to come on the show. And within the hour, you texted me. Absolutely. And I remember I, I didn't see the text because it's a business texting platform, so it wasn't right to my cell phone. So I didn't see it till the next morning until I got into my to the shop. And it, it had this, hey, uh, you've got my attention. I want to be a part of this adventure or something. And it was interesting. I'm like, Where, who's this? What is this? I thought it was a customer. And then, oh, my God, it's rich. So anyway, I said, this is unbelievable. So then I asked around town, around town, around the church about Rich and found out this guy's like completely famous. (laughs) 
Um, and anyway, all right. So there's your seed planting. We're gonna okay. so, so strap in, ladies and gentlemen. This is gonna be an unbelievable um, a journey that we're gonna go on today with Rich. So first and foremost, word from the sponsor, which is me and my family, <clears throat> Real Deal Sleep, our mattress store. Um, if you're loving the show, first and foremost, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Um, the feedback I've been getting all over town, all over the church, everywhere I go is, is it, I can't even tell you how humbled I am, how grateful I am, how appreciative I am of every single one of you that is tuning in. Um, and if you, know, if you want to support the show, uh, besides tuning in, uh, besides sharing it with your friends, if there's an episode that you love, share it. Um, post a review about it. Like if something that's said or, or that inspired you in some way, please post a review on there. Um, also, if you want to support the show financially, which Real Deal Sleep pays all the bills because there's no budget for this uh, talk show yet. Um, not yet. Uh, you know, come purchase a mattress. <clears throat> or if you know somebody that needs a mattress. <clears throat> Go ahead and refer them to me, realdealsleep.com. You can go to the website, click on the chat bubble. That'll connect with you directly with me via text message. Then you can book an appointment. So as I do almost everything by appointment these days. So again, if you if you need a mattress, come see me. We have everything from the most basic mattresses to the finest materials in the world, sleep systems that are going to take you to the promised land of sleep. Um, <clears throat> pillows, sheets, uh, name it. We've got it all. So real deal sleep. If you want to support the show financially, come and support it with uh, buying a mattress or referring your friends. So there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with Mr. Rich Gilio. Not bad. I think it's not too bad, right? No. Okay, so Rich, let's go here, bro. Let's go. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go back now. Where Where were you actually born and raised? Born and raised in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Get out of here. Do we know this already? How do I? No. <sighs> see, see this, folks, this is why I love getting to know my guests live. Because, dude, I'm from Jer- I was born and raised in Jersey. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. In Mar- Montclair. Montclair. I know we're on clear. Yes, so New Brunswick. Okay, keep going. Unbelievable. I had no idea. Because you don't have any Jersey accent anymore. I don't. (laughs) I don't, but I speak Italian with a Southern California accent. Do you really? Yeah. (laughs) So you were born in Jersey? Yeah. How long did you live there? I lived there uh, 19 years. I can't believe this. And then uh, I was drawn to... uh, California. California. So right, so give me some childhood stuff. Parents, were they together the whole time? Um, Brothers and sisters, school, anything you can remember from school as far as monumental moments? Give me, give me the parent situation. How was your family? My, my parents were, were, uh, they held, they stayed together. Yeah. They went through the, the uh, turmoil of the uh, 70s and, but they came, they stayed together. I'm from yep. a, I'm, I'm one of 12 kids. 12? Yeah, I'm the oldest son. 12? Yes. Yeah. This is the most I've heard yet, because uh, the, the most next to you is uh, Pastor Samuel. He was one of nine. Oh, was he? Yeah. But I know that you didn't come into the world like he did. Him and his whole, all of his brothers and sisters came through a chair in the living room. <laughs> That's, no. no. Definitely not. Yeah. Anyway, but we did. If you if you know what I'm talking about, tune into Sam, Pastor Samuel's yeah. the Portal Life. They call it. All right. Anyway, one of twelve. Yeah. All right. So talk to me about that. Mm. We're all we're all still alive, except my son, my brother Tom, mm. passed away Saturday. Saturday. Oh, I'm so sorry. Unsuspected. You know, I didn't have a. I don't have any 
remorse. I don't yeah. have any mourning. Yeah. I know that he's reunited with his wife yep. and his son. Yep. And that he's happier than he's ever been. And so I celebrate his life. And I don't literally, genuinely do not feel mourning. You don't. I'm, I'm, ce- I'm <clears throat> celebrating with him. He, I took him to Italy in uh in August, and we really we were always close because yeah. he's uh, I'm the oldest son, he's the next oldest. We were always close all of our lives, and, and uh, I was blessed to have him in my life. He was a wow. wonderful man, pastor. Uh, um, Where was he living when he was when he passed? He was living in uh, n- near Beach Haven, New Jersey, oh on the God, on the coast. Me? That's where we went every summer. Really? Yes. Beach Haven. Beach Haven. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. For all those cities on that island. And wow. And Haven. you said he passed all, uh, suddenly? Was Suddenly. He sat down on the edge of the bed and said, I don't feel good. Next thing you knew, he was on the floor. It was good. It was painless. Wow. And he went right into the presence of the Lord and uh, reunited with his son and his daughter, his son and his uh, wife and parents grandparents it, it must have been a joyous celebration yeah no kidding so he was he in his late 60s then yes yep wow and you said his uh his his wife his wife had already passed his wife passed yeah. from uh complications uh with liver and kidney failure in uh, june of uh, 2020 and then his son died of an overdose Ooh. Uh, a accidental fentanyl overdose no way fentanyl was in something he thought he was taking he died november the song that that uh wait november of of 2020 oh wow so the song that the church has been playing uh the premier song uh uh what uh was it holy night the wonderful night wonderful wonderful night he wrote that he wrote that he wrote that and he performed it for church. He, he wrote several songs for the church. He was very involved in the, the church. Son, his son, your, so leader. your nephew. Nephew. And now that you're saying this, it's, it's, the dots are coming together for me because now I remember the night of Christmas, they did a tribute to somebody. Yes. That was, was that him? That was him. I just got chills all over my body. I can't believe it. Yeah, I... I made a deal with with uh, Awakened that uh, they could use his song if they honored him. Oh wow! And they did it in spades. Oh, of course. I mean, with Awakened, that's their number one thing is honor. Like you even have to ask them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. No, this is unbelievable. And as soon as you started talking about it, I remembered being at night at Christmas, and that beautiful song. Number one, the song is beautiful. And then remembered that I'm like, wonder who that is. That's your nephew. Wow. So then you guys have a musical background in your family? Like, are you all... Yeah, my dad was a singer. He wasn't a musician, but he was a singer. And and, and so your nephew... Um, and the, So fentanyl is a major thing in our country right now. Yeah. Oh, man. Oof. How did your brother take that? Was he... He was... Devastated. Devastated. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, the... I know the level of devastation that he experienced losing his wife and son are only reversed when he comes into their presence in in, mm. in heaven. And there was nothing, I'm, I'm sure there was nothing compared to the joy that he of felt. Of course, 
His broken heart was put together piece by piece. Wow. And he lives a whole life. It's yeah. wonderful. He's it's a wonderful with, experience. Yeah, he's back with him. Yeah. 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 Wow. What a man. I can't believe we stumbled on this already, like five minutes in. This is incredible. All right, so uh, so one of 12... Um, parents, parent, how was the, how was the upbringing with them? Were they strict? Were they, did, was it, was it, were you churchgoers? Uh, yeah, we right went early to, on? yes, uh, Catholic church. Catholic. My father was very, very committed to Catholic church. My mother was Jewish. She got saved through the ministry of Fulton Sheen, who is an East Coast uh, uh, bishop who had a podcast very unique, yeah. and uh, he was as close to the field with the Holy Spirit as I've ever seen somebody in that wow. position. And uh, then uh, I led my mom to Christ. And uh, what age? I was uh, maybe tw- uh, I was about twenty-two. Twenty-two. Yeah. So twenty-two. Then she was probably in her forties. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, take a, I'm gonna yeah, take a stab at it. Yeah, she went on to become a pastor, get a get a pastor's degree, wow. and had a huge congregation in uh, New Jersey. No way. Yeah, was it New Brunswick? Mm-hmm. Wow. So how did that happen? How did you get her to? They watched. I got saved, uh, and they watched my life. And uh, my father was critical, but my mother was very sympathetic. And suddenly she saw a need for what I had. She needed what I had. And, uh... Wow. And then, and then what about Dad? Uh, my Dad was very antagonistic because he saw us throwing our lives away by committing ourselves to the Lord. That's what he... As he, as he saw it. That's what he saw. And I went away to missionary... Uh, a missionary group, and many of my brothers did, and he didn't like it. And two weeks before he died, a priest came in to give him his last rites and said, though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be there as white as snow. And that hit him. Mm. And right after the hit, Jesus revealed himself. And he had the sweetest relationship with Jesus that I've ever seen, just a sweet love for Jesus. And uh, it was a wonderful uh consolation for all of us because mm. we've been praying for him, especially my mom it was just wonderful for her to see that and this was right before he passed yeah yeah so, so talking about that dynamic because i've got li- a lot of listeners and watchers that um either aren't believers yet or are on the fence mm. like okay what does this mean i don't get this so to have a catholic dad like the difference between the two can you sum up the difference between being Catholic and Christian and following Jesus? Can you can you sum that up? Like like how that was in the house, the dynamic. You kind of talked about it, how he was antagonistic, right? So what does that mean? Uh, they would have prayer meetings at the house, and uh, they would sing, and he was not happy with being dis- his life being disrupted by singing, <laughs> and his house being taken over by. A hundred young kids, and, uh, so he, uh, you know, he would leave notes. He once he left a note. He said, "Dear brothers and sisters, uh, this will be the last meeting you'll have at the house." 
and he signed it Brother Sal. <laughs> they kept having meetings. They did? Yeah. And so the difference between the two? Oh, the two. Well, a Jewish person, a Jewish parent says, make sure you take your books to school. The, the, the Italians said, make sure you bring your lunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then Catholicism yeah. compared to Christianity. Uh, I took it very seriously. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, uh, offended by the, pr- the things that the Catholic Church taught because I, was, I didn't know any different. Yeah. So it was cool to, for, with Mary and you know, all that. But, and Mary's still cool. Yeah. There's no reason to, uh, not to honor that woman. Uh, she's not a saint. She should be a saint, yeah. but she's not. Uh, and really, the Christianity is all about what Jesus did on the cross, giving his life so that we have life. Being, being, uh, he took away our guilt and shame and forgive, forgave our sins, uh, past, present, and future. Now, I, don't, I don't know that God knows the future, I, but I know that Jesus died for my sins, past, present, and future. And so then Mary, talk to me about the side of Catholicism with Mary. What's the viewpoint there? Um, she was the mother of God. She was really, in Catholicism, she's raised higher than Jesus. Mm, okay. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray yeah. for our sinners. Pray for us sinners. And it's, it's, not, it's not bad, but what happened is it led to other things. It, it led to hu- kind of a humanism in the, in the Catholic Church that became very abusive. Around the world, I go to Venice, and Venice, they, they won't even talk about religion. Really? Because it's, uh, they've been burned. They've watched their parents get burned by the Catholic Church. And then they're listening to all the, this, uh, these problems that were, the Catholic Church has been having with the priests. and uh, they, they point their fingers. It's an easy out. It's an yeah. easy out for them not to follow the, the, the church because there's these other guys that did all this wrong stuff. Yeah. And so then how did you, growing up with your family, if your dad is Catholic, mm. mom was Jewish, how did you stumble on Christianity? My, uh, my mom's dad, uh, Saul Tomberg, became a Christian when he was 65. And uh, he, started, he would come up from Florida and he would share Jesus and nobody, nobody liked it. Nobody liked that talk, but nobody. I didn't. You did. Yeah. Did any of your other brothers and sisters I think like they it? They might have. Yeah. We never really talked about it. Yeah. Because we saw my dad not liking it, and uh, and uh, then I went to went to Florida. Actually, my father sent me to uh, Florida to work with him. I had tickets for Woodstock, and my father was seeing all the things going on on TV. The uh, car, the, the uh, traffic jams, and the drug use, and you know the, the the media was presenting these people as just absolutely scum of the earth. Yeah. And uh, so he, in, in, to protect me, he he uh, forbade me to go. I was fifteen, sixteen, and uh, he sent me to my grandfather's for the summer, and that's where I got saved. No kidding. Come on. The evangelist. Wait, 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 wait. 
wait. So you were going to go to Woodstock. Yeah. He prevented you from going to Woodstock. Yes. And instead, instead. he made you go to your grandfather's. My grandfather's in West Palm Beach, Florida. <laughs> Working his restaurant. So I'm not going to say this backfired on him. That's interesting. I've never thought of it. But way. in a way. Yeah, it did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I guess Grandpa was safer than Woodstock, in his opinion. <clears throat> there you go. Even with all of his Jesus. All right, so tell me about Grandfather. Like, tell me how that went. How did, at 15, did you go to church with him? You're like, yeah. hey. Oh, gosh, he was, he was a born-again believer. He was totally born-again, loved Jesus, talked about him all the time. He uh, opened a, a series of restaurants in West Palm Beach called Tomberg's. <clears throat> and they looked like restaurants from the outside, and they were they served the best Jewish food, but they were really uh, they're really evangelistic centers. Yeah, he had tracks and uh, uh, chick tracks and Jesus tracks, and uh, he would make sure that people got one when they came to get their food. Jewish, mostly Jewish people, and. Uh, he had a real heart for the Jews, you know. He would uh, he would feed hundreds of people in the rest homes at no charge. Really, every week he was just a wonderful human being. And so, what was it about? Did you go to church with him? Yeah. Like well, at what? Which visit did it for you? Were like you know what? Well, that's it. He had his <clears throat> friend, uh, an, an evangelist. Uh, sit down with me in a booth just before I was ready to go back to New Jersey. And he, the guy won the argument, but my heart hadn't changed. And then about a year later, and then I, came, I went back to New Jersey and I got involved with a Christian community of people my age. And then uh, God basically showed me my sin, my conviction, and I just remember being on the floor it was around Thanksgiving, weeping and weeping about, and I'm saying to myself, what is it what's going on here? But I, and I just got up, and I just felt clean. I felt better. And I talked to my Christian friends about it, and they, they said, yeah, you had a conversion experience. And so it was really, uh, it was nice. It was nice that I was able to uh, move in that direction. And so going back to you were with the guy, the evangelist guy, so how long were you in, in Palm Beach at that point? week or two no i was there for the summer the whole summer mm. so it wasn't until the end of that summer that mm. you accepted jesus <clears throat> yeah i had gone fishing with this guy and he tried, he was showing an interest in me and talking and he was evangelizing me and i yeah. didn't realize it yeah. then the last day he kind of cornered me and he you know asked me questions that i couldn't answer uh, in the negative and and, uh, you know, like, where, uh, when you die, where are you going to go? Are you sure you're going to go to heaven? So I, I played along, and uh, a year later, it, it sunk in. And so when you played along, you're, you're counting that as when you got saved? I think that if I had died, I would have, God would have accepted me because yeah. my, I had made a decision with my, my head. And uh, I think that's the first step. And then the heart follows. Yes. So then when you came back, did you tell dad what happened or no? 
Probably not, huh? Oh, he knew. Everyone he, knew. He knew? What do you mean? I became a different person. I was driving around with a car that said Jesus saved on the bumper. On the, on the front license plate. <laughs> Are you serious? Because <laughs> Jesus was everything. Started cr- singing Jesus songs. One of the people in our community in New Jersey was had come from uh, Calvary Chapel in uh, in Anaheim and uh, or Costa Mesa, and she had all the Christian music, that new love song, and all the new Christian uh, rock. I wouldn't really call it rock, mm-hmm. but it was p- modern music. And it was because I'm a musician, I just gravitated to that immediately. So your dad, I gotta, t- I'm gonna say this again because stuff like this, this is what I love, man. When we start realizing how God has a plan, mm. where he's he was diverting you from there and went, you went here, and because of that, the ent- your entire life went a different direction. Yes, unbelievable. Is that it crazy? Is. Not, yeah, it is unbelievable. All right. Um, okay. So then you come back. So everybody knew. Was he? Was he? Did he express his displeasure that you had Jesus on the license plate and that you're following him now? Yeah, he didn't like it. He didn't like it because uh, because he didn't understand it, mm-hmm. and because he felt it was an affront to the Catholic faith. Got it. And uh, at one point, he said, "So what you're saying is that everything we've learned in the Catholic Church is." is wrong and we've been duped and i said yes he said no i'm not going to accept that yeah my my uh my grandpa uh god rest his soul he would get into it with this type of a comp because my mom used to get into it with him all the time about this because he was devout catholic i mean he went like every day <laughs> and nothing nothing else nothing yeah. But got and he's listen. He's the guy that had the biggest influence on me as a man. Mm. My dad wasn't wasn't present at all, so I I love him, love him. So anyway, I had to mention that because I remember the the arguments that him and my mom. I didn't know what was going on because I sure. was never. She never quote unquote pushed anything on me. I was never anything other than um, positive. But anyway, okay. So go now. Your brothers and sisters. When did people around you start realizing that you had changed? Like, whoa, what's going on here? I went to Youth with a Mission, a uh, missionary organization, and uh, came back with all of this on-fire faith. And uh, one by one, they, they started to, they, they, they wanted what I had. And they began to, they, they committed their lives to the Lord. And of my 12 brothers and sisters, I think all of them are Christians. Not there's a couple of Catholics still, but most are made a confession of faith because they saw they saw my life. They saw my life. And that's the biggest thing I'm realizing, Rich, on my journey. <clears throat> I'm about a year and a half in on this. Is because of the life that I'm showing, my wife and I, my family and I, that we're showing to the world via social media. It's attracting so many people because people are like, whoa. I want what they have. Yes. This, this beautiful, harmonious life of yes. love, passion, serving others. Like, what's going on there? Yeah. We don't, yeah. Even have to, we don't even have to really say anything. We just live. Yeah. St. Francis said, preach the gospel in all things, and if necessary, use words. And if, there you go. That's what I'm realizing is we're just showing our life and, and how beautiful it is to live this type of life. Oh, yeah. This guided life, I call it. 
Yeah, how, how do people not? How do people, what, what do they fall back on? I, I, you know, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about that more and more lately, Rich, because I was a very faithful guy as far as laws of attraction. Everything happens for a reason. And it was great. worked well. But I, there was just something, just tiny bit missing there. Mm. Like you said, fall, like how do you guide if you don't have something, to, like you said, to fall back on, like this mm. thing? Because when you go through hell during life, we all do. In one form of another, we battle things. We have battles. We go through, the, like with this business, it's ups, and we go through hell. Well, how do you keep going? What, like, and, and it's the faith and, and walking with Jesus, right? Knowing that we're, we're good. We're mm. fine. He's got us. He's got us. We're good. That's what I'm realizing. He's got us. And it's during those hard times that we uh, discover things about ourselves that make us closer to God. Colin Higginbottom said uh, I was praying with him through uh, the recession in the 20s, uh, 2020. And he said, I've just gotten closer to God. I've gotten more dependent on him. And then he said, it's where, I'll, it's where I should have been all the time. It's funny. I talked to Colin yesterday. Oh, did you? He's literally my favorite guy in in the world. Like I love that guy. His passion, yes. his faith, his love. Yes. He's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So all right. Okay, so now so all right. So Jersey, now give me anything. Did you play any sport? Oh, you said mu musician. How did you stumble upon? Did you start playing early? Did you know you had a voice? How did that happen? Uh, my father, uh, I had a good voice at a very young age. My father would train me at night when all the kids went to bed. He'd, he'd keep me up and he'd, he'd make me sing. And he really put his, sowed his life into me and uh, his, his gift. And... Uh, so I was I was a good singer at an early age. Then when I was in high school, he got a guitar for his birthday and wasn't that interested in it. But I I was I was being influenced by uh, all the influences. The Beatles had already come, and then the English Invasion and all, all the musicians, all the music. And uh, so I gravitated toward music. And then, uh, so did you? Did you play in a band when you were younger, like in high school? No, I didn't because uh, uh, I worked for my dad and literally was supporting my family. My dad kind of uh, jumped the fence, and I handled the uh, the business. What do you mean, jump the fence? Um, he started uh, having affairs, ah. and staying away for long periods of time. Ah, okay. And then, so then you, so you said you worked for your father? Uh-huh. What does that mean? He, he had, had a business? A, yeah, a business. He had okay. a garage door installation business. So I took over. I, he was, he would, he was there. My uncle and I ran the business, ran the, the business. And then you were pretty much supporting the family? Yeah. And then so, but parents stayed together. Yes. Mom. My mom's conviction in Christ and her hope in my father's salvation uh, gave her the strength to stay. Yeah. The, stay, the staying ability, and it paid off. And so how was the home with that many kids? Was it just chaos? Do you remember? It wasn't really chaos, but I really don't know any different. That's true. I cannot imagine what it would have been like with one or two brothers or even a single child. But it was not chaos. But 
everyone had to uh, pull some extra weight. Now, I became, especially in this time when my dad was partially absent, I became a father to my youngest sisters. Yeah. How many years between you and the sisters? Uh, Probably at least 10, ten years, right? Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, um, 20. 20? My mom was present, pregnant for 19 years. Holy cow. Wow. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. This is the most brothers and sisters I've heard of, let alone on the show. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So how many boys, how many girls? Six and six. Six and six? Come on. And you're, yeah. the, you're the oldest. I'm the oldest boy. The oldest I, boy. I have two older sisters, but, yeah, but I'm, I'm looked, they look to me for my uh, guidance. Your guidance. And now is yeah. anybody out here in, in, in the West Coast besides you? No. They're all no. in Jersey? Uh, Tom, my brother Tom's uh, oldest son is in Ventura, and then his uh, middle son, Thomas, is uh, uh, lived in Chula Vista. Chula Vista. Yeah. And, and tell me, you guys called him Tommy? No, he no? Called, called him Thomas. Really? I called my brother Tommy. Yeah, because I mean the, the Italians. It's everything's with a Y, <laughs> right? Did you have a Jimmy, a Johnny, a Tommy? What would you? What were the other names? Give me the other names. Yeah, it's an I. I mean, Italian. The I is pronounced E. Oh yeah, that's right. Right, 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 right. All right, give me some other names of the brothers. Oh, I have... Uh, Sal. Salvatore. Salvatore. Uh, Raphael. Thomas. Tommy. Tommy. Peter. Petey. Joey. Joey, there we and go. Then, uh, and Salvatore was called Plinky because he was he was a kind of a genius on the keyboards. Really? At a very early age, he was playing very complex stuff, all by ear. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. All right, so give me something about your, like, uh, the singing career. Did you get into anything? Like, where did you go with that? Did you wait till you got out here in California? Did you do anything with it in Jersey? Not really. I was not, I was never really self-promoting, and I had my kind of head in the barrel, just working, 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 supporting my family, and then after the divorce, I continued, but I got involved in music. So in uh, 2000, one, I got an electric guitar, and I found a guitar, guitar teacher to teach me. Other, prior to that, I just strummed an acoustic guitar. So my, my whole life changed uh, as far as musically when I turned, uh, when, when I was, after I was divorced. After you were divorced? Yeah. Okay. All right, so go back. When did you get married? When did I get married? Yeah, yeah. You skipped um, it. You got a divorce on me already, and we didn't even mar marry you. Uh, <laughs> See, this is what I do, Rich. If you, if, you if you skip ahead on me, we're going back. Okay, 78. 78. 1978. So, 78. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means, let's see, 78, let's see, 7, so you were around 20, somewhere around 20-ish, right? I was 27. When 27, I okay. Um, all right, so hold on. Let's go, let's first, when you came, was it after high school? 19 did you go right from jersey at 19 to the west coast uh yeah pretty much i uh and how did that happen like what made you choose 
I, uh, I wanted to come to California because I, I was attracted by the Beach Boys lifestyle ah. and the music. And when I got here, uh, I lived with a, a friend of a friend who was very involved in Calvary Chapel during the Jesus movement. And I was swept into that. And this was at 19? Yeah, roughly. In San Diego? No, it was up in Costa Mesa. Costa Mesa, okay. What made you choose that? Like, how did you, did you know somebody there? I had gone to a youth with a mission camp and uh -huh. heard a man by the name of, a guy by the name of John Dawson, he was about my age. And uh, the, what he was talking about, hearing the voice of God and uh, doing these amazing exploits, I thought, I, that's what I want. So I followed him to California. And uh, between the lifestyle, the, the Beach Boys lifestyle and and following him to see what it's all about, I came to California, got involved with uh, Calvary Chapel and and uh, their music program. I started to get involved in the music program and then God reminded me why he brought me out there to join this organization. So I left Costa Mesa and came down to... Uh, to uh, Sunland, California, the Sunland Honga area, and uh, where the base was, and uh, served on that base. What, what does that mean? It's it's a missionary training organization. They send people all over the world, ah. and they train you in the principles of God. And you're saying that's what the reason God had you come out here was because of that? Well, I came out on John Dawson's invitation yep he said i'll do disciple you if you come to california got it and then you said god remind you why you were here i was getting involved i was being invited to play uh with some of the groups like uh, love song and uh, i don't remember which what other bands but they were all, we, we'd all go to connect groups together and we'd play and i would play and they liked the way i played and uh the time that I was just getting an opportunity to be to uh, matriculate into the Christian music scene, God said, uh, what, "What's going to glorify you more? What's going to glorify me more?" Mm. I said, uh, "I know the answer," and I left and went to Youth with a Mission. So it was going down to the mission uh -huh. where they train. Yeah. Yes. And so you helped with people to train. Uh, no, I wasn't helping. I was being trained. I was being discipled. Ah, okay. I was being discipled. Got it. And uh, from there, yeah. And then I, I went on missionary mission trips and just changed my life. That's okay. So tell me about a uh, Give me some stories about a mission trip. Like what that entails. You get down there. They're like, okay, here's where we're going. All right, cool. I want to go there. So we went down to Mexico City to do a Bible distribution and uh, we were on the street t talking to people, and I met this musician who spoke a little English, and uh, he and I started playing together, and he absolutely loved playing music with me. And uh, and uh, while I was there, we, we would sing and play, but he wasn't a Christian, so he didn't know the Christian music. And then I'd play Christian music, he'd try to play along. And, and uh, we were only there for a short time, but we distribute uh, Bibles to uh, people uh, all around the Mexico City area. So you would literally just walk around? Yeah. 
hand people Bibles. And hand people Bibles. And they took them. Wow. And so for how many weeks would you do this? It was about a, well, we took a bus down there, so yeah. it, uh, it was about two weeks. Okay. You know. Oh, so you took a bus? Camping along the way and, you know, having a, a solid community of people. And then tell me about this now. This is fascinating to me. You would, okay, cool. Well, let's wake up tomorrow morning. We'll have some breakfast. And then we're just going to literally walk around and hand out Bibles for the next, what, eight hours? Pretty much. That must have been just incredible in itself. It was. Give me the reaction of people. Like, were, what was the percentage of people that were receptive? And were there ones that were like, get out of my face, or just would walk by? Um, and now, especially in a place that most people aren't speaking English. Yeah. Well, Am I right? In, in, you'll find that in the larger, sophisticated European cities, people speak English all over the world. So when I was in Mexico City, people did speak English, but handing a person a Bible, they recognized it because it was a Bible. They didn't know it wasn't a, a Catholic Bible, it was a Christian Bible. And uh, I mean, it, was not a, it, was a, it wasn't the St. James Version that the Catholics read. It was more of a modern version, like uh, the Message or New, new uh, International Version. And they enjoyed it. They enjoyed it because they could understand it. They would open it and read it, and they'd start reading. And I'd be standing there, and they'd just start reading, and they they had a smile. And they said, "I like." I, they told me I could. They, they could understand it. And I said, "Great!" So the people liked it, and the word got around that people were handing out free Bibles. And we were Americans, and you know you can tell that right off the bat too. So uh, we had good, we had great uh, experiences. And now, what what would, what would make you choose Mexico City? Like, I didn't. I didn't choose. Oh no! That would make them choose it. Over like, okay, let's go to Tulsa. They have their hand on the pulse of the world, and they knew that this was a needed a place that was needing uh, evangelistic um, revelation and grace, and uh, the component of the language barrier was intentional so that we would learn to get through it without speaking or having the luxury of the language, fluent language. So it was good. It was good training. And these these church, these uh, uh, classes still go on today. When I went to Youth Mission, we were 1,500. I think there are 25,000 now. Wow. And uh, subsequently, I know, I know, I knew, I know all the leaders in Youth of the Mission, which is nice, but I'm not really involved. I just I support Youth of the Mission here in San Diego, and uh, and then how were you at this point? How were you funding what you were doing? Because you're not you're not working with your dad's business anymore, obviously. Yeah. How I, were you financially supporting yourself? Um, I learned the concept of living by faith. Aha! Talk to me about that. Uh, the money would just show up. And if it didn't show up, then I would do without. But I always knew that God was with me. So I never, I never worried. Give me an example of that. Like when you just, all of a sudden money showed up and you're like, whoa. Uh. I know you got a ton of examples. When I met a woman 
and uh, we got engaged. My mom sent me several hundred dollars to buy her a ring. I had no idea what, how it was going to go. I, didn't, I knew I wanted to marry her, but I didn't know. You know, I wasn't there. Her, her father was a little trepidatious because he saw that I didn't have an income, but I was strong, motivated, and I could, I could go to work. I, was, I, was, I could go to work. So we, he, we, we got married, and it, it worked out. Just everything just works out. And where, where did you meet her? In Youth with a Mission. You did? Yeah. So this was your wife? Mm. Yes. Okay, so you met her there. Yes. And then how did that go? Like, what did you just hit it off? What was the, uh, and I know, um, like, how long before you proposed to get married? We were uh, on staff. She had gone through the classes. Now, now we were on staff. And uh, she was... Uh, Attractive. <laughs> she was attractive. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. So then, so then you went on a couple of missions together. No, 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 no. She was. Uh, I had just come back from smuggling Bibles in Romania. Smuggling Bibles. Mm. What does that mean? It means smuggling Bibles. Okay. Expand. You can't tell that. Say that without. Okay. Like it's a uh, normal I, thing. I went to I went to Italy, I went to Israel to study because I knew I was Jewish. I wanted to find out what was going on. I wanted to find out what gave, what gave King David his heart of worship. That's really what it was. And I went, and uh, I became part of an a group movement called Israel Aliyah, where they would train you, put you on a kibbutz, and train you. Uh, four hours a day in the classroom on the language and the culture. Uh, and they didn't get into the religion, but it was the language and the culture. And then for six hours, you would work in a, a factory or whatever that kibbutz produced. And I became, uh, and so I, uh, someone, uh, I was working on the kibbutz, and uh, someone told me that there was a man in the hospital who needed blood. He was a Romanian expatriate, and he wanted to go back to Romania and smuggle Bibles. He needs a strong man, young guy, to uh, travel with him. And so I went to visit him in the hospital, and that's what happened. So we got a, I, I lived with him for several months, and uh, Oral Roberts University had an uh, international printing press in uh, Jerusalem, and they printed... Uh, small and a large print Bibles and small pocket Bibles for us. You smuggled Bibles. Yeah. And then we went to, we, we got six large soft shell cases and put clothing in them because there had just been a devastating earthquake in Romania. So we brought clothing and in the pockets of the clothing we had vitamins and, uh, and medicines, and because he was a Romanian, he he knew what what they didn't have and what they needed, and so uh, it was uh, an amazing thing. The the, the guards would at the uh, in in Romania would open the suitcase and they'd feel around it, as if they knew there was something there, mm. but they didn't. 
but they were getting bribed. He he got a white shirt and a couple of hundred dollar bills and in a bag and, they, and some perfume, and he'd hand it to them. He had several of these. And he had them all the guards. So it was like a bribe, and then they and they didn't find anything. So we were released and we went on. And so, but the guards were being paid off, basically. Yeah, yeah they were being paid off. So this is Romania. Romania. It was during Cuchescu. It was during the time uh, of that horrible uh, dictator who was eventually beaten to death on the street. Wow. But I saw a lot of things go on in, in, that, in Romania. Yeah. So give me, give me one of your most inspiring stories and your mission trips or uh, during this time. Do you remember a time that you were just the most amazing thing that you had been a part of? One that stands out for you on the, either the mission trips or... I was, uh, after uh, several weeks, the Secret Service figured out what we were doing. And there was a time where uh, they weren't after him because he was a Romanian. But they were after me. I would be a trophy as an American. And uh, I ran. I, I was in good shape. I ran. I was jumping fences. They were right after me. And I lost them. Of course, I was lost, but I lost them. And I eventually was able to connect with my friend. And we went up to an apartment, and we uh, had a Bible study. And hundreds of people were jammed in this little apartment to hear about the gospel. And then I went back to where I was staying, and the police came and said, uh, no. The next day was the day that we left. We went to the airport, and uh, they wouldn't let me leave because I was under investigation and the Swiss air pilot came off the plane and said I'm going to get you out I'm I'm going to get you get you home and so we went back he said just go home go where you live go, go stay where you live don't answer the door don't do anything and then come back to the airport and uh, in the morning so I went back and uh, I, I got a flight out and so you came back to the airport Hmm. And did you, so you saw the pilot? No. Because he a, said, I'm going to get he, you out. He arranged uh, a flight for me with oh, him. Oh, he did? I guess with one of his, uh, another pilot from uh, the Romanian airline. And uh, they, they issued me a ticket on site and just brought me back. Were you nervous? Were you scared? Uh, there was an element of uh, excitement. So there's faith right there. Yeah, you just had faith it was going to work out. But, yeah, what's going to get? What's God going to do now? And it, it really almost was a non-event for me to just get for on you. the plane. And take for anybody off. else, they'd freak out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not guided by faith. That's right. Right. Yeah, we we have the strongest faith for ourselves. I mean, I had the strongest faith for myself. Yeah. And all through my life and all through my trials, I had the strongest faith for myself that God was going to was not abandoning me it's incredible incredible all right so keep going here this is uh now um how long were you married for 20 years 20 years wow okay hold on so you're you went to costa mesa mm. um you were doing the missions when did you get to san diego and how Uh, after the uh, 
after the Youth of the Mission, uh, which was about two years, I went back to New Jersey, and my brother Tom and his wife went into Youth of the Mission, mm. and I ran our little uh, storm door, uh, screen door awning company in Beach Haven, New Jersey. Beach Haven. And then uh, he came back, and then I... Uh, I left again, and I went down to work with my grandfather for a while. And in then Florida. In Florida. Uh, yeah. And then where'd you go from Florida? Did, how did you... Uh, Actually, I got married before I left California, so I brought my wife back. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He left, and then when he came back, my grandfather wanted me to work with him, so I moved down to Florida with my family. When, at that point, I had one daughter. And uh, I worked with my grandfather. I loved the, ins the inspiration uh, of his faith. And um, What did he do? What business did he have? Or what was he working? Chicken. He, he did a, a Jewish... Oh, that's right. Chicken and chicken restaurants called Tomberg's. Very famous. He's the one that had the restaurants. Yes. Okay, got it. Got he it, got had it. five different locations, and they were really uh, evangelistic centers. He would, he would witness to the Jews that came in for the food. And, you know, they loved the food so much, they never were offended. You know, they never were offended. They loved him. He was a, he was a true ex example of a Christian. Just loved people, loved them. And then so now your, your wife and daughter are there, mm. right? What's your daughter's name? Jennifer. Jennifer. Okay, so <coughs> then from there, how did you get to, did you go from there to San Diego? Did you go back to Jersey? From there we went to... Uh, Lindsay, California, where, where my wife's best friend was living, and her husband had a construction company. And uh, so I went to work with him. And it was just at the time that the, the bottom of the raisin market had fallen out. The raisin market? Yeah, and in that area, the raisins are the, 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 uh, commo the commodity. commodity. Yeah. And uh, then um, I moved down to San Diego to answer a, a want ad for somebody who understood the garage door business, which I was in with my father. Yeah. I went down, interviewed, they accepted me, and I became the manager of a company called San Diego Garage Door. And then the person, the owner, had severe diabetes, and he died. Wow. And uh, I told the union representative that uh, my only hope is to... Uh, Closed the shop and opened it as a non-union. He said, "He said, don't tell anyone I said this, but that's mm. the right decision." Wow! And so I did that. Uh, so it was already unionized. Yeah. And so you said the only way that's going to work. Yeah, yeah. So we went into. Um, I opened it out. I opened it from my home, and uh, very successful. Oh, I moved it to a, a you know a. A site, industrial site, industrial building, and uh, ran it for several years. And this, are you in your twenties or thirties at this point? Probably thirties. Right? Yeah, I was gonna say thirties. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And so, so what? And what made you look to San Diego in the first place? Like, why do you? Okay, let me look at San Diego for one ad. Oh, because we were in uh, you know Bakersfield, Fresno area, and. Uh, San Diego was like the promised land. Oh, yeah. 
they you knew that. Yeah, people were making money, and there was uh, there a lot of uh, trades were in demand, and so uh, that's why I went. So just looking at a want ad. Okay, yeah. so then you take over the business, you start it back up as a non-unionized business, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, and this is we're talking about what in the is this eighties or nineties at this point? Not nineties, uh, probably eighties. Yeah, probably eighties, right? And then, um, so, and where were you living in San Diego? Um, we lived in Chula Vista. Chula Vista. Chula Vista, and then we moved to Coronado. Oh, yeah. Coronado, I arrived in 91 on an aircraft carrier. Oh. With the Navy. Yeah. And I sailed around South America. That's how I got here. Okay, so talk to me. Keep, keep going with the, uh, the business, with the, the garage door business. What was the next thing that happened? Uh, what church were you going to out here? Give me the whole scenario. I was going to going to Horizon, okay. which is a Calvary Chapel. Yeah, and uh, I decided to sell the business and um, just start a business in Coronado Garage Door Company. And I felt like the demand that I was experiencing in Coronado could sustain my family, and it did. I sold the business, and the guy went bankrupt, and I never got paid. Ah. Uh. Right. So, mm. uh, so he, you sold yeah. him the business, but had you already sold the one that you took over with the the non union? We, you we closed. Uh, it, it was closed because it was owned by when he when the owner died. It was owned by his son, right? Who had a, a substance issue, and so he sold all the equipment in the in the uh, shop. It was a big shop with a lot of equipment. And they would build those one-piece doors right there in the garage and in the shop and load them on the trucks and take off. And then, so when you restarted it, yeah. was that the one you said you sold? Yes. The one I started was the one I sold. Okay. And yeah. that's the guy, when he bought it, he went bankrupt? Yes. So they didn't even get your money? No. So he went bankrupt with your business right away? Yes. How long did it take him to go bankrupt? Like 90 days? Was it quick? Yeah, no, it was like a nine, it was like six to nine months. He was making oh, okay. payments and then gotcha. okay. payments stopped. And I heard through the grapevine that he was, I had a lot of government contracts. I was good at bidding and estimating. And he was selling those contracts to one of my competitors. And they called me and said, this guy's selling these contracts. I think he's going bankrupt. So I called him. He said, no, you denied it. And then he went bankrupt. Ah. Uh. Yeah, because that's a red flag right there. Yeah, you start selling those. Okay, yeah. so what did what did you do? Uh, what did you do from there? I was still doing a garage door company in Coronado, and it was it was uh, sustaining me. It was nice because oh, yeah, I right. lived there, and I worked there, and uh, my name got out among the other contractors. And to this day, I'm friends with many many contractors I've I worked with back then, and. Uh, from there, I got into financial services. Uh, there was a guy at church that had a uh, company that did living trusts, and so I worked with him. And uh, that's. And, and then, how long did you do that? I did that for about f- three years, and then uh, I found out that he was defrauding people. He was selling them annuities that he was printing on his printer. Oh wow! There was nothing behind it. There were these older, these were older people, and I just, so I, uh, I came in one night and photocopied all this 
fraudulent stuff and tried to give it to the FBI. They didn't want it. They said it was an insurance problem. I went to the insurance commissioner. They said it wasn't one because it's not really insurance. And so back and forth. And finally, uh, finally somebody brought him to justice. And then, it's a, and so did you move on from there? Or did you continue to? Yeah, I started doing financial services. There were still people who believed in me. And uh, so I started doing financial services. I did pretty well. I went into, uh, uh, became a securities advisor. And I did pretty well with that, too. And then what was your, what was your wife doing at this point? Uh, she wasn't working. Um, she was teaching at, the, uh, at San Diego State while she was studying for her, her, her master's degree. Uh, she was uh, she was uh, work. She was teaching a lab. Yeah, at San Diego State. And your daughter at this point, you, you had one daughter. At this point, I had three children. Three. Yeah. Rich. And they were they were doing well. Wow, you got a lot done in a in a in a few years there. We yeah. were we were at one kid. Uh, we were not that long ago. No. So now you got three boys, girls. What was the, what's the two girls and a boy? Two girls and a boy. And what's the boy's name? Uh, Christopher. Christopher. Mm-hmm. That's a good name. Um, and then, so, uh, all right, so go back now. You were doing the financial services. Where did you go from there? Were you, were you uh, looking for your, your music career? Were you singing? Were you doing any of that stuff at this point? I was singing and playing. I was, I was doing jams, blues jams around town. I got uh, became very popular and... Uh, I was going out three or four nights a week and playing. And uh, Croce's? Did you play at Croce's? No. No. Croce's was a little more sophisticated than uh, my style. Than your style. <laughs> Where did you play? But at? I knew Ingrid. I got to know her. Yeah. Um, Croce. Uh, so my style was uh, novice and all the mistakes to go with it. But I was also following the blues. Mm. So uh, eventually I got good. And, and, and it, it was hard playing. And, um, I wasn't really attracted to getting going to a club at 7 in the evening and leaving at 2 with 50 bucks in my pocket and yeah. smelling like cigarettes. Yeah, because yeah, back then you could smoke in the bars, I remember. So, I, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't really pursue a band. And, uh, so you just you would just riff with people then you would just go and mm-hmm. I'd sit I'd sit in, I became so uh, well known that people even to this day will ask me to sit in if I'm watching a live band that I know. And by sit in, do you mean grab a guitar mm-hmm. and pop in? Mm-hmm. That was your thing, is the guitar. Yeah. An acu- acoustic. No. No. I played, a, I played uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan electric. Shut up, Texas come on. Blues. Wow, so you know, the, the electric guitar. Wow. Yeah. So even if you're watching people say, hey, come and, come and sit in? Yeah. Oh, man, that's cool. Do you still to this day? Mm-hmm. Where, where have you played recently? Like, where do you play? Uh, uh, recently, I played at uh, McPee's in Coronado. McPee's. I know McPee's. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few bands that play there, and they uh, asked me to sit in. How often do you go and watch over there? Probably two or three nights a week. Oh, really? Because it's my—it's in my pattern with my dog. We walk uh, about two miles. So you pop twice ahead a day. Of there? Yes, we stop in. He loves it. He—he's lo- a very social dog. 
So everybody knows him and loves him, and so it's his uh, thing, his life. Oh, man. I would love to go there with you. All right. Yeah, keep me in the loop. I'd love to just experience that. Okay. Just see what's going on over there. Yeah. Because I know McPee's. I went there back way back in the day when I first got here in my low 20s. Yeah. Yeah. It was here. But yeah, it was here. It was a It was a very popular, it is still a very yeah. popular kind of Navy SEAL yes. military. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, home base. Yeah. All right, so keep going here. So now you had three kids at this point. Yes. Um, what, uh, how did the, how was the marriage? How did it go? Everything good? How was life as a father? Can you give me any pearls? Um, I heard Ricardo Montalban say once that my children don't need a friend. They need a father. And that really affected me. It really kind of separated the, the, uh, the identity of who I was for my kids. And then the Bible, teaching them. Uh, I would bring them to church, and my wife wouldn't go to church. But she was teaching them. She wouldn't go to church? No, she became uh, involved in the uh, Gloria Stein and uh, women's lib movement. Yeah, because you met on a missions thing. We met at a missions organization. Okay. Yeah, it was a, te- a deterioration of her uh, her resolve and conviction. And, uh, and looking, looking back, why do you think that happened, or how? I uh, I think that she was offended by something, someone religious, and uh, she held that grudge. She was offended, and it was a, it was a kind of a way out. She, I was getting more and more in, into the the faith, and she didn't like that. She didn't like that I was spending so much time at church, and and uh, she was a, an alpha, so she really wanted to be in control, but I wouldn't let her some, in some areas, and it uh, didn't go well. And so kind of an out would be to switch gears, right, for her, and be offended, right? Yes, by- yes. Got it. Okay. And then, so you said the woman's lib thing? Yeah. So what's that all about? Uh, it is a very much like the woke movement today. Mm. Uh, uh, victimization. Feeling like the victim. Pastor Jurgen says that uh, for unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Right. And that was really... Uh, that was uh, the perfect explanation of how her life went. Mm. And, and so then what, uh, how long did that go on before you were like, you know what, that's it? I could live with that because uh, mm. I wanted her to have, she, and she'd, still, she'd go to church, she'd go to the Christian Science Church, she'd go to other churches. I knew she was mad at God and she would, I had to give her some space. And I tried other things that didn't work. So I just give her her space. And then she started, uh, started teaching in the in the college system and she started having affairs with her students and uh it got uh it got to the point where she wanted to live that apparent lifestyle instead of being my wife Mm, no kidding yeah and did your kids know this yes unfortunately uh 
she was having an affair with our American family counselor in Coronado. And every, I, everybody knew it. Everybody knew I it. I was the last to know, really. You're kidding me. No. <sighs> and the kids knew it. Yeah. Wow. So what, obviously, at that point, that's when you're like, all right, that's it, that's a wrap? She divorced me. She did. You were willing to see it through? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, God gave me a new heart for her. It was like we were first married. We were just lovers. She went, I, call, I challenged her to come out of this, out of this uh, relationship. And at that point, it had gotten very dark and controlling. And he was a doctor of behavioral science. So it was almost like he hypnotized her or bewitched her. And she came out of it. She was great. And then the uh, her sexual... Uh, uh, apparence started taking control again and uh, she went back into that relationship she, and she uh, uh, divorced me because she said she felt I could never forgive her the truth was she could never forgive her she couldn't herself. forgive herself and this is a family counselor mm. how crazy is that well I thought it was pretty crazy. I thought it was pretty crazy. <laughs> the the just so unbelievable. When I hear stuff like that, I'm like, is this, like, how do you even? Yeah. And I'm going to assume he was married too. Oh yeah. And this was not the first time he told her that he had affairs with other clients, and and sometimes they'd move away. He had a strong um, clientele of, of uh, military. Mm. That's right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, and they'd be, you know, the guy would be on deployment, the woman would be feeling, you know, uh, oh yeah, lonely. Lonely and fearful and she would go to him and and that was that was his that was his ploy. And this guy is what the, what the did he get can, you can you lose all your licensing doing this stuff, right? He did. We uh, we uh, uh, the, the 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 counselor that my wife and I started going to after she came out of the affair brought charges against him, and uh, he was sent to prison and he lost his license. Wow, good. Yeah. That's just awful. But most up until that point, the 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 man would just take his wife and move to another city nobody ever challenged him wow that is like just so wrong on so many levels you know what i mean it's crazy yeah all right so she divorced you tell me about how that went how you felt how you moved forward did you just not even blink an eye how were the kids at this point uh the kids were were they had a lot of questions. They had a lot of fears and anxiety and, of course, the social pressure. Yeah. And uh, I found myself one day at home at my, in my bedroom with a gun in my mouth. And I thought to myself, I don't want my daughter to come home from school and, and see this. So I took the bullet. So I, I didn't uh, shoot myself. And um, it's, I'm so glad. So you actually, for a second, thought about it. Oh, yeah. 
This was after the divorce. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was because of the divorce. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. In so a recent, what, what yeah. made you decide not to do it? I didn't want my kids to come home from school and see me with a hole in my head. The trauma was more than I could... Uh, uh, I could I could uh, agree with or accept, and so uh, I had suicidal suicidal thoughts for a while, and then started coming to to awaken church and began to build myself up in the Lord and uh, my confidence, and and it changed my life. And being how, involved with the church like that. How long were you, did you have these suicidal thoughts? How many years? Long time. Long time. Five years? Yeah, probably. Five years. Yeah. I didn't, uh, yeah, I would I would run a blues jam in Coronado, and I would think to myself as I was driving over, I would think, this will be the last time I see my friends because I'm going to kill myself. But I never got around to it. And so this is, this is not that long ago. Oh, 20, 20 years ago. 20 years ago. So we're in the two early 2000s. Uh, 98. 98. 97, 98. 98. So you got divorced in 98? Mm. And so for the next five years, you had these tendencies, these thoughts, roughly? Mm, well, we on and off, uh, maybe not that long. Uh, maybe uh, 98, 99, 2000. In 2001... I found a guitar teacher to teach me how to play electric guitar, and that that was really cathartic for me to play music. And I got a hold of a Steve Ray Vaughan CD, and I could just feel the passion in his playing. And that's what I, and that's what healed me. That, that the the outlet of passion. Because yeah, that's passion. what that's what I was going to get to is what stopped these thoughts like, mm, it was the it was uh, an outlet it was listening to him and uh listening to other musicians and realizing they they had gone through this too and people i talked to so a lot of these musicians have gone through this stuff yeah i mean uh, recording artists yeah yeah they sing about it they sing about it oh yeah and that and that helps you to identify yes it's probably not your favorite song on the album, but for me it was because I, I heard the anguish of a broken relationship and divorce and, and stuff like that. It was, and, uh, of course, yeah. yeah. I didn't start going to C3 until 2013. Yeah, that's what I was going to... So I was in a Baptist church, and the pastor uh, and I became friends, and we talked through this stuff. And I had a friend who lived next door who was uh, Captain uh, Lee Axtell, who was a, a, a chaplain in the military, and he knew he knew how to handle this too. So he, I had a lot of people who saved me. And so during this time, this is you had him, you had uh, so Pastor Cameron Lee. And I had other Christian friends. Were you telling them that you had suicidal thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you tell your kids? No. No. They don't know. They have no idea to this day. Yeah, to this day they don't know a lot about Lori and uh, a lot about my my uh, experience leading up to the divorce and then after. Wow. And so yeah. um, 
So then uh, you playing the electric guitar yeah. was like therapy for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, what? so then what, because now we're talking a long time, t- over 10 years to get to, to C3. Because C3, yes. which it was C3, then it, it became Awaken. Jurgen, what, took it over, changed the name, which wasn't too long ago. Well, he didn't take it over. He started C3. He started C3. C3 was part, is part of a, of a network of uh, C3 churches all over the world. Got it. Led by Chris, by uh, Phil Pringle. And uh, he, Jurgen and Liam were launched by Chris and Phil Pringle in Australia to come to San Diego. And uh, just around the time of the pandemic, Pastor Jurgen decided that he would become his own denomination because it was getting so big. No other C3 church had multiple campuses. And uh, so it was a good move. When we moved into the church in uh, Balboa, there's a huge sign above the entrance that says, Awaken. And uh, that was 2013, and it wasn't until 2020 that he actually felt it was the right time to become his own... uh, denomination so awaken mm-hmm. that name wasn't there you saying it was there before oh only it, it was only written in the uh above the foyer but it wasn't the name of the church until later so but he didn't so the awaken the name was already there or did he think of the name and yeah he thought of the name okay so they that just wrote a, it there that was a uh 24-hour fitness yeah right 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 but i remember it was c3 <laughs> Yes, it was C3. Yep. And then he didn't turn into, uh, didn't change the name to Awaken until yeah. 20. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what? how did you get to, to C3? What attracted you to the, how did you get there? My nephew Thomas was leading worship at C3 for many years. It started in 2005. I was playing on a worship team for a Navy SEAL church in Coronado, and Pastor Jurgen came to speak in 2005. He had just gotten here. I just figured out he'd just gotten here. And I liked the way he, what he said, but it didn't seem to me like he had a church, and so I never really pursued it. And then my, my, my uh, nephew, Thomas, started going to the church and really loved it. And How long had uh, your nephew been living in San Diego? Oh, he's been living here a long time. Long time? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, yeah. And so he he would, he would come to uh, the Baptist church uh, and play a duet with me on guitar. And then he'd say, I want you to come to my church. I want you to come to my church. And I, and I was pretty, I was kind of, a, uh, I was asleep in the light. I was at a Baptist church. It was, it was nice. It was, uh. Calvinist. It was like a retirement plan, easy live, easy, easy faith, and uh, so <laughs> good way to put it. I went to I went to C three and I was just rocked. So were you like uh, you said no, 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 and then finally yes, or was it right away? Sure, I'll come. I know it was no. I I didn't feel any need to move churches. Yeah, you were comfortable. I was comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was convenient. Interesting. Interesting. The, the uh, there's a, uh, a battle 
that goes on in our heads between with convenience versus conviction. And I hadn't, I'd wanted, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to um, distract myself with conviction, so I chose convenience. And I knew that God would forgive me and, you know, I would be okay. So it wasn't until I started, I, I heard Pastor Jurgen preach, and I was doing sound at the Baptist church, and so I said, I, I need someone to take it every other week because I want to go to this other church. And I started going, and then after a while, maybe two months, I said, I can't not go to, to oh, C3. C3. So I, I left the Baptist church and went to, uh, started going to C3. So the, give me the first message when you went. You went for the first, when, he, when your nephew took you the first time. What happened that first visit? Uh, he was worship, He was on the worship team. So I just, and by the way, people that are watching, a worship team means the first part of every 15 to 20 minutes of the service yeah. is a team on the stage, which is basically a band. Let's call it a band. band. It's rock band. It's rock, a rock band with yes. guitar, drums, three singers. Oh, six singers. Yeah, belting out a song. Yes, after yes. They, do, they do about three, four songs. That's called worship. Re just so worship. everybody knows when I got there, I had no idea what that was. But I know that my first worship that I ever witnessed, which was them singing, which I didn't even know what they were singing about, my tears were coming down my face. Mm, same with me. And I would go, and I would, I would just weep. Mm. And a friend of mine, people who became my friend, uh, um, Kathy Ornello, Kathy and Paul. And Kathy came to me one day, and she said, I've been watching you. Because they knew Thomas. Everybody knew Thomas. And they said, uh, she said, I've been noticing that you're not weeping anymore, but yet you're smiling. Wow. Yeah. And, and so, the, I mean, so give me the first service when you went. Do you remember it? Or were you like, that's it? I'm, this is, it rocked you right away? Yeah, it rocked me right away. Right People, away. Yeah, it just felt, it felt so uh, right. What he was saying felt so it right. It was Jürgen the first time? Yes. Yes. And, uh, so as as they do it in the church, we uh, they they do an altar call at the end, and altar calls where they ask people to, if they want to have prayer, to accept Jesus. And Pastor Jurgen would say, if you've fallen away, you've turned away, you've stepped away, uh, and you want to come back, we'd like to pray with you. Anybody want to have me pray with them? Just raise your hand. So I raised my hand, and uh, I didn't notice that they first were, time in. Yep, okay. and I didn't notice that there were spotters. So I pulled my hand down. He said, I want you. He, said, he said, I want you to do a brave thing and come forward. And I just sat there. And this person behind me comes up and says, I saw you raise your hand. Would you like me to go forward with you? <laughs> I said, okay. So I went forward. <laughs> and I got prayer. Spotters. Yeah. And I got prayer. And uh, Did he specifically pray with you? I don't remember. Okay. But after the service, he came out into, into the lobby to find me. Pastor Jurgen came out into the lobby to find me, and he hugged me, and he said, there's more in there. There's more. And I was encouraged. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was about 40 to 50 pounds overweight and uh, not happy with myself, but I just loved what I was hearing there, and he was right. There was more. Yeah. A lot more. You ain't done yet, bro. No. You still got something in the tank. I do. You do, and 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 you still got something now. Mm -hmm. There's way more. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. What a crazy story. <laughs> All right. So hold on. Keep going. 
Um, all right. So then what happened? You came back the next Sunday or every other oh, Sunday? Oh, yes. Well, I was going every other Sunday. Then I just told my pastor that I, uh, I'd i like to have the person take over to town because I, I want to go to my nephew's church. And, and you know, he liked me enough to say, okay, well, we're always here if you want to come back. So I left. When? That was 2000. That was September 2013. When did Jurgen get to kind of know you? Like when you came back again, did he say, hey, you're here again? Yeah. I No. Well, uh, he would acknowledge me, but I was way up in the nosebleeds. I just really wanted to be experiences by myself. I didn't take anyone. I just needed to be. This was my experience with God. And it was a uh, very peaceful. And uh, that was 2000, September 2013. And uh, July of 2014, I became an intern an intern is where you yeah. commit one day a week to serve so, uh, a certain pastor and what they're doing and help them get it done. And, and we have thousands of volunteers in our church. And one way, uh, an accelerated way of uh, getting involved is uh, through this intern program. It's like a Bible. St- it's like a Bible school. It is a Bible school. And uh, July, and I got on the worship team. I started playing bass. And then uh, I wasn't able to carry the music, and uh, pastor, the pastor came up to me and said, you know, Rich, I know you, and what's happening is, is not really, is not uh, normal for you. You're, fought, you're losing your place, and you're losing your timing. He, says, he said, are you okay? I said, I think I am, but I, I know I've noticed that, so I'm going to step out and just see what's going on. And... Uh, a couple of weeks later, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Wow. I had no idea. I no just idea. Knew, I just knew I felt really bad. And, uh, you know, sometimes we are trained to go beast mode. Right. Play hurt. And that's what I was doing. I was just trying to, you know, trying to figure it out. And uh, what, what kind of cancer? Lymphoma. Lymphoma. Yeah. So you weren't feeling well. Mm-hmm. You hadn't gone to the doctor yet. No. What made you go to the doctor? What made me go to the doctor? I had, uh, I was taking Percocet for a bone-on-bone knee injury. And we were just going through the process of of, uh, therapy and realized it didn't work. And my doctor was starting to talk about a knee replacement. And uh, then I was diagnosed with cancer. So he said, we're going to put that on the back burner until you, until we get you through this. How did they find the cancer? So I, I ran out of medication, and I called the nurse at my doctor's office. He said, he's already gone for the day, but just go to the emergency room. Tell them what's going on. They'll give you some pain meds to get you through the weekend. So I went, and the doctor, Considine, wouldn't let me go. He smelled something, and he just kept tracking it and tracking it and tracking it. All weekend, I didn't eat or, eat or really drink anything. They kept me on a fast so they could monitor what was going on in my, my blood and then uh, they released me on Tuesday Wednesday I got a call from Dr. Redvern you have stage 4 cancer wow and stage 4 is like the last right isn't it St- stage 4 that is means that it has yes the last yes the last stage it means that you the cancer has progressed right Okay, so your whole me, body. give me your reaction at this point. Uh, my faith was challenged. 
But God, yeah, but the Holy Spirit told me that I was going to be okay. I, God showed me that I was going to be okay. In his word, his promises, thousands of promises said to say that he's, he was with me and that he will heal me. And I kept, I kept that. What, did you do any treatments? Did you go into chemo? Oh, yeah. Did you do I went right into chemo. That's what the, obviously they recommended, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so tell me about this. Uh, they planted a, a port in my chest, and they would give me chemo. And uh, uh, there was one story I want to tell you that I was sitting, lying in the hospital bed. It was probably Sunday. I'd been in the hospital for three days. For, 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 well, two days. It was Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, I was almost delirious because I hadn't eaten and I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't drink anything. And they were giving me some medications. And I felt, I heard a commotion. I was in the ER. I was in the, uh, I was in the ER. So it happened the next day, Friday, happened Saturday. I heard this commotion in the hall. This group of people comes in with this man in a robe, a kingly robe. And he walks up and looks at me and he looks at my chart and he said, this one's ours. Let's take care of him. And he walked out. Of course, it was a vision. Yeah. But it was Jesus just telling me he was going to be there. And uh, he was. And uh, I remember that vision. I was encouraged that God hadn't forgotten me. That when you have something like this, it doesn't mean God forgot you. We learn in the valleys where we learn things about ourselves. Yeah. And, and uh, so I went through the treatment on... on uh, and this was, this was a priest that walked by? You said that there was no one. No way, this is... It was a vision. Oh my gosh! It was as real as I could, as it could be. That was October. October. October uh, was diagnosed October fourteenth. December twelfth, I was sitting in the front row of uh, C three, and because I had to leave the, the intern program because my Thomas was my nephew, everyone knew about it. And I guess I was, I had no hair. And uh, Pastor Jurgen, during the prayer time that we have every Sunday, he came up to me and he put his hand on my chest and he just started praying in tongues. And it was like the scene from The Matrix where everything's flying past them, the weapons, and they're getting ready to go into the building. All these weapons, these things are just flying past me. And it was amazing. And uh, I think I was healed. I felt great. I felt like I was healed. Uh, I told my doctor <laughs> a story, and he said, well, we th I think you should finish your treatment. So I did, and uh, I, was, uh, I was released from treatment uh, in, in, uh, in March. In March. So did they do any tests after, like... Yeah, well, they, said, yeah, I, they I feel yeah. like I'm pretty good. Did they yeah, test they after did, that? Yeah, they, did a, they did, did a couple of scans, and they said it was, it's, it's uh, gone. And so then that was before March, or they kept you going, or? I uh, know, around March I was, in, around March I uh, got the, the uh, they released, they stopped the treatment, and they said we're, it's, it's under control. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, Jurgen, did, did Jurgen knew this? Like, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. And you came back the next, the next Sunday, you were there every single Sunday? Mm-hmm. I was there every single, something, uh, sometimes I'd, 
drag myself to church. I was my skin was green. I had no hair, uh, but I would go. You somehow got there. Yeah, people would tell me about it. I didn't realize that I was green, but uh, you know, Kermit the Frog says it's hard being green. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it makes sense. So I just. I just went to church. I knew church was my hope. I knew that the word of God was my hope. And then, so then, because you said you're a two-time mm. cancer survivor, did it come back? In 2018, it came back. And when lymphoma returns, recurrent lymphoma, it's, it's fatal. How, did you feel bad? Like, well, I mean, oh, I did. You, yeah. I felt really bad. And... Uh, um, so when you start feeling bad, you go get tested right away. I went to my doctor. And when I, I went. To, I started feeling lumps in my my neck, and I went to my doctor. And he put his hands on my neck. He closed his eyes, and uh, he said, "I feel four. So he sent me to Doctor Redfern, and he said, "It's back, and it's not treatable. But we're going to treat it. We're going to do everything we can." And so they gave me heavy doses of chemotherapy. And uh, I'd already had the port removed, so I had another port put in to my chest. And uh, that was in March. And in October, uh, I had a consult with him on the 23rd of October, 2018. He said, the cancer is not stopping. We didn't, we kind of expected that. But the chemo is killing you. And... Uh, Unfortunately, you have about four months to live, and then your whole body will shut down because of the damage the chemotherapy has done to my uh, my healthy tissue. So I became an eMERGE captain. I named my team Braveheart, and I wore a kilt. And uh, I went on the field in March, and I felt like I was going to die. I just felt really bad, but I, I was this eighteen or back. nineteen. Emerge, so two thousand um, March, April. Because I think Merge is in March. March. Yeah, yeah. It was March, two thousand eighteen. Eighteen. It, when well, was it? Well, it's October. So it's a, in January for. So two thousand nineteen. Yeah, because yeah, two thousand nineteen. Okay. And this is it. This is how long after the doctor said it's you've got four months. Four months. This was four months after. Uh huh. It's time. I said, what a better place to drop dead than on the emergency. What were you doing in between that four months? Going to church, getting prayer, mm -hmm. give me everything. What, yeah. What? Uh, exploring other options. Uh, there, was a lot of, there were a lot of clinics in Mexico, but they didn't have any data on lymphoma. Hard cell cancer is different than, than blood cancer. Lymphoma is blood-borne, so the infection is somewhere. The... Uh, other cancers are blood cancer of the blood, leukemia. I had lymphoma, and uh, so they never arrested the cause. They just treated the symptom. Mm. And uh, March, I just it continued. And so you to became stay. a captain. Yeah. Had you been a captain before? No. No. Did you say, I want to be a captain? I told Jeff that uh, I'm... I Jeff probably, Jeff Forbes? Jeff Forbes. I said, I won't be alive. I I'm, they, they say I'm not going to be alive in March, so I want to be a captain. I think I can make it to March 15th or whatever it was. And, uh, 
And you said, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so tell me about it. Tell me about the kilt. Give me everything. Uh, so I I chose the name Braveheart because that's what I, that was my posture. I was going to be brave. And, and uh, of course, uh, William Wallace wore a kilt. Of course. So I decided to wear a kilt. And some of my team members wore kilts. And so uh, I still have the kilt. I like to wear it, but, you know, it's unpopular. So so tell me about what happened during that emerge. you got to tell me. Give me some stories. We were here. at Sequan, and I had a hotel room. And every three hours, I had to go back to the hotel room and just lay down and stay still so that my body could produce enough white blood cells to keep me going. I would be fatigued because my body would... Because the white blood cells were yeah. battling the cancer. Right. And uh, I didn't have enough to, you know, to run my body. And I would be t really exhausted. And uh, so I'd go and I'd rest. And I'd come back and da -da -da -da. that was what I did. It got strong. Uh, but still, I was uh, living under the shadow of my death sentence. And uh, the prayer, I think the prayer, uh, I know the prayer saved me and so uh, in April of that year 2019 I went into uh, a blood I went into uh, UCSD for a relatively experimental treatment where they took 5 million white blood cells out of my body and genetically engineered them to go back in to kill the cancer and uh I had that treatment on April 9th, and it was effective. Wow. It was effective, but my, uh, my doctor told my friend, who was, a, was the president of the Coronado uh, board, uh, hospital board, he said, uh, I had 10 clients go through this. Rich is still the only one that's still alive. Well, I said, well, I, said, well, I told my friend Jimmy, I said, well, God healed me. The treatment well, can't take credit. So I know that God healed me, and he, knew, he healed me because I have something else to do. Yes. I have something else to do. Wow. So, so in April, I, uh, I was released by, for Easter so I could come home and spend Easter with my family. 2019, 2020, I had been involved in a very famous lawsuit with a large uh, agrochemical company, and they were people were saying that this herbicide that they sold was giving people cancer, lymphoma. So I joined the suit back in September of 2015 and 2020. Uh, I got a small settlement, and at that point, I just said, "This is the rest. This is the rest of my life, and I'm going to live this without fear. Live this my life with abandon." And that kind of spawned the what we what I do today. Okay, so keep going. Tell me, like, what what have you done since twenty? What's going on? Um, Besides being on the Real Deal Talk podcast, yeah, this is a highlight. Oh man, I'm so excited! I'm so proud of this. That 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 that, that I'm so honored that you're here. 
I kept feeling I kept feeling like God wanted me to just let my imagination go, mm. give me the desires of my heart, and I've always wanted to play music, and I've always wanted to live in Italy. So, I took three trips to Italy, three weeks at a time, uh, at a time, and uh, I looked at homes in the in certain areas, Tuscany, Umbria, didn't like it. Then I took my dog up to Italy, and we went through uh, the northern cities. And uh, I fell in love with Venice. Uh, I, I would go to the city and I'd just feel the, try to feel the spirit. And there were some angry, evil spirits mm. in some of the big cities. But Venice had a very uh, calm, peaceful spirit. And I fell in love with Venice. And I fell in love with the working class people in Venice. And uh, I, I wanted to bring the gospel to them. That was my plan. So. I went on Tinder, and I set my parameters for Venice, and I started talking to Italian women. Mm. And uh, I, I was using a translator because I had been taking Italian, but I wasn't fluent. And uh, I made it clear that I was wanting to vi li live there. I wasn't trying to, you know, wasn't trying to create a romantic situation because I'm, I don't live there, and that's not practical. And Many women responded and talked to me about what it was like to live in the cities they were in. And uh, a woman contacted me, Lucy, contacted me. She said, uh, I'm a singer. I said, oh, that's great. So am I. She said, I saw your, in your profile that you're in a band. And I said, yes, and I'd love to come to Venice and play American rock music. She said, my brother and I own the largest jazz venue, music venue in Venice and we'd like you to come, but I need to hear your music. So I sent her a studio recording, and uh, she sent it to all of her friends, all her musician friends, and they all came back to her and said, we want to be in his band. So I got a date of August 18th, and I went, and it was the trip I took my brother Tom on, and then he left on the 10th, and I played on the 18th with a band that I had just met, and we just rehearsed a little bit, and it was set up as a jam so that I could hear other musicians play and get a feel for somebody that has my style. Mm. And I found the band, and uh, so when I go back in January, uh, I'll play with that band, and I'm already in communication with them and uh, sending them music that I know and uh, I want them to know and, and how to play it. And, there's a lot of technical issues that have held Italy back. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, um, we're having a really good uh, relationship. And since then I have, uh, since I made the commitment to go, four women have asked me to come and visit them in uh, cities around Venice, which was my dream, just yeah. to visit cities around Venice above you know, like 50 60 miles in an arc above venice which is an, uh, which is islands in the water and uh it's just worked out wow all right so you you but you already went out there and played a little bit with them right you said yes you already, yeah how many times have you played with them once once we just did the show yeah i'm i am really not self-promoting so I'll stay home if nobody calls me. <laughs> this time, 
I am working feverishly on a promo package uh, with audio and video so I can send to all the venue uh, and club owners to itinerate the band for the summer. My goal is, my plan is to go in the summer and tour northern Italy and southern Europe. I'll find a promoter. I'll get the promo package to the quality that a promoter would want to pick it up. And then I'll find a promoter, a couple of promoters, and let them go with it, and then I'll come back. And, and so you're leaving in January? Ja- yes, I leave early January. With Next my, month? With my dog. With your dog? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. All right, so tell me uh, in the last, um, how often do you get checked? Does your body get to go in and get checks once a year? Uh, it was uh, every three months I'd get a scan, and every six months. And my doctor said, you know, it's you're you're uh, healthier than I've ever seen you. I, mm. think it's, I, think, I don't think we need to uh, expose you to any more radiation. Yeah than you need and so if you get if you feel sick come back otherwise we won't uh he still sees me but every time he sees me he says you're 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 better you're strong i was 138 pounds when i was going through this now i'm two uh 238 pounds now i'm 200 200 wow so and body's then uh, healing for sure and then your kid where are your kids still here in san diego my son is your son. My daughter lives in London. My, my London. Uh, yeah, my oldest daughter lives in North Carolina. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And th- so, what does your son do here? Uh, he's going to school and he's uh, bartending. How old is he? Forty. Forty. Where does he bartend? A place called Costa Azul. Yeah, I've he heard Bartends of on the weekends and people love him. He's yeah, just I've heard loved. Of it. He's just a great. And I, when I go to see him, he's just a really hard worker. Yeah, that's what I did uh, right out of the military. I was uh, bouncing and bartending. Yeah. Yeah. I worked right across from Croce's. That's how I knew Croce's. Oh. Okay. I, I worked at Blue Tattoo. Okay. Yeah. 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 E Street Alley, Club 66. I was in the nightclub industry. Yeah, that's how I knew it. All right. Okay, so this is very... Are you, how excited are you to be doing this this Italy? I'm thing? very excited. Right? Yeah, I've been planning this for months. That's a... That's a the, the, the most fun is finding the hotels and finding the right place and getting a car and talking to people, letting them know I'm coming and then, oh, yes, we, we need to visit, we need to meet and blah, blah, blah. And all these, uh, band is excited to play because they played with me at, on August 18th and they loved it. And I really like them. And so I'm developing uh, the, the uh, style because American rock, American blues style doesn't exist in Italy. Mm. And there's uh, technical reasons for that. But I, uh, I'm creating my sound, my style, through this other this young band, very young guys. And it's going to be great. It's going to be great. There's, wow. a, there's a guy who's a great front man, and he'll do some singing, and he'll do some background singing. He speaks Italian and English fluently, and he's funny guy and so he's a perfect companion for me that's great okay so so rich tell me right now since you've come out of this second wave Mm. um you know you felt like you've got something else in you what give me your are you aligned with your god-given purpose right now and what is it like are you feeling it like this is why i'm here this is what i have left in me 
tell me about it. Uh, when I came back from Italy in, in uh, April, uh, I didn't have this idea. May, June, somewhere around May, June, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I told God that I was, I was wanted to commit myself to the people of, of Venice. And uh, I had this idea about going, as, going and uh, trying to revive the Catholic charismatic movement. It was a vision, or like not a vision, but a, a thought. And I said, well, I'm not a Catholic. I was raised Catholic, but I'm a Catholic in bad standing because I haven't gone to confession for 50 years. I don't want to go as a charismatic because that'll scare them. The only thing left was go as a musician. Mm. So they don't know that I'm a, they really don't know that I'm a Christian. They know that I'm a, a good musician and I, I'm winning friends, I'm winning people. Eventually I'll, I'll live there. Uh, hopefully by 2024 I'll be able to open a club a lot of the music, a lot of the venue owners like me. They like my style. And uh, in 2024, I'd like to be there full time, open a club, and uh, very simple, have a bar night and have a nightclub scene and have a music venue. And then on Sunday mornings, do church services. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't have to know now. No, you don't. And so, it's, I mean, we're kind of like, I'll go back to your grandfather days, kind of what he was doing with his yes. restaurants. Yes. Right? Yeah. Kind mm -hmm. of, kind of an evangelistic type of approach here. Yes. For him, it was cooking. For me, it's music. Mm, that's right. This is exciting. Yeah. I think, yeah. It's God's, it, it, God's purpose for wow. me. And it's, it's wrapped in every bow color imaginable because it's what I've always wanted to do. I mean, you pick up an electric guitar and you, you dream about touring and touring Italy and uh, touring Europe. And uh, so I have suddenly I'm at the skill level that it's legitimate and I'm developing friends in Italy that will make it easy for me. Although I do solo acoustic and once I start living there, I'll do some acoustic stuff for uh, the clubs at night, uh, the, the restaurants, the more fine restaurants. And then, so I see it all planned out. Wow. Because you had said uh, part of what got you through those really dark times was the electric guitar. Yeah. Yes. All the times. I didn't spend much time in the hospital until I had that that what's called CAR-T, the, the, the white blood cell um, uh, treatment. And uh, I brought a guitar with me, and I'd play. Wow. In the hospital. I didn't have an amp, but I'd right. play the guitar. Yeah. In fact, I spent three days in the hospital two weeks ago with this cold thing, and I had a guitar with me. Incredible, man. All right, so, ladies and gentlemen, we went from just meeting a week ago um a week and a half 10 days roughly yeah to now being on the podcast there's a reason for that right god has a plan okay so on that note what we're going to do is we're going to land the plane with you giving my viewers and listeners 
some some words of God here, some evangelistic type stuff that people that are on the fence that are like, what's going on with this life? I, I'm really mm. curious as to what's going on over here. This life that JD and his family are living and this life of fulfillment and passion and love and just running around as a light in the world. What's all, what's this all about? So do your thing. We're going to finish with you firing away here, Rich. Go back to all your missionary days, <laughs> passing out Bibles in Mexico city. Okay. Uh, I think, can I look into that? Oh yeah. A lot of people find themselves mad at God. Mm. They're mad at God because of something that happened and they blamed God for it. And uh, it probably wasn't God that did it. It was either the person, uh, if you're dealing with a broken heart or a broken life, uh, it's definitely a legitimate heartbreak, but it's, it was a person that did it. And I'd go even deeper and say that it was a, sat a satanic influence on that person's life. And if you can posture yourself with that same judgment and think of it as the person who was being tormented by a demon, you begin to have compassion for the person and then you'll have compassion for yourself. Mm -hmm. People don't like themselves and it's important that we like ourselves, we love ourselves. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So you really can't love anyone else until you love yourself. And that's a, it's not a difficult jump. Get involved in a good church. Get involved in a good podcast like this one. Hear the, the, the word of God. And uh, remember that God is for you. And he's not against you. Uh, he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I, have, I know the plans I have for you, plans for a future and a hope. And Jeremiah 12 is, if, and if you pray to me, I will hear you and I will answer from heaven. So my hope is that you stop and give God a second chance because he's always been with you. Ladies and gentlemen, my man Rich, with the word of God, a living testament. Gone through cancer, whipped its ass twice in a row, right? Yeah. Undefeated. 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 Still standing. Mm hmm Braveheart. Just getting started. Just getting started. Just getting started on your mission from God to do what you were designed to be, or be what you're designed to be, do what you're designed to do, your calling in this world. Rich, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming in. Uh, it's been an honor to get to know you on the air live. Thank you. Um, I know for a fact you got a lot more in you, a lot. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm proud to know you already. Uh, I'm proud. I, I can't wait to kind of experience some life with you moving forward and hear about your, uh, your adventures and, uh, and your life. Uh, and I can't wait to go to the Coronado McPees and watch a couple of riffs with you. We yeah. got to do it. We got to do it. All right, my man. Rich, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Real Deal Talk. That's a wrap. There it is. <laughs>